Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. If you have your Bibles, Revelations chapter 5. Revelations chapter 5, verse. Let's start from. Maybe we can just start from verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with how many seals? Seven seals. I told you this morning, for those of you who were here, that um, Jesus is with the seven stars in his hands, right? And the Bible says, can you command the Pleiades? Can you command um, loose? I mean, can you bind the Pleiades, which is the sweet influences of the Pleiades, and then lose the bands of Orion? Can you do that? And we related it to revelations because scripture is all connected. We related it to revelations that Jesus is actually with the seven stars. And then here we see seven. So there must be something about the number seven that the Bible wants us to observe and to see. Um, and, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to lose the seals thereof. Um, it is called a seal because it is not about power but authorization. Are you still here? Now, if something is sealed, it's not as if there are no archangels in heaven who can tear that thing open. They actually might be able to do so, but they are not authorized to do so. So the one who has the authorization to do so is whom the scripture is going to reveal to us very shortly as we keep reading. It says, who is worthy to open the book and to lose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, somebody say no man. No man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Oh, glory to God. Now, this is John's revelation, by the way. This is John who had a revelation in heaven, of heaven. And this book of revelation was given to John. So this is not an inspiration. This is not one of those books you consider as an inspiration that um, scripture will define that all the writers who wrote, wrote according as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not one of those cases. Because if you read books like, um, um, what's it called, um, um, from the, the, the law to the prophets and then to the gospels, to the synoptic gospels and to John, you will see how that all those books were inspired by the Holy Spirit for the writing and for the purpose of showing Christ. But however, the book of Revelation is not necessarily a book that was given by inspiration. It was a book handed over to the revelation of Jesus. And it was handed over to him. So, apart from the fact that a lot of people dodge the book of Revelations, maybe one of these days we'll take out time to study Revelations. Is that okay? Yeah, they, I mean, the book of Revelations is interesting because it speaks about the person, the man Jesus, and also uh, um, 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 end time events and, and what have you, but here now the focus is on him. This book handed over to John, and John is saying, John is recounting what was given to him. He says, and one of the elders said unto me, weep not, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Jesse, of who, sorry, of Judah, I mean, the lion of the tribe 
of Judah. Somebody say with me, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I can hear you say it louder. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, um, it doesn't end with the lion of the tribe of Judah and move on to say he has prevailed. He says the lion of the tribe of Judah, which speaks of the victory side of Jesus, but ends it or continues the lion of the tribe of Judah with the root of David. Now, the root of David is symbolic because it talks about the sure mercies of David. So there is the victory dimension of which Jesus accomplished on the cross that is expressed to believers, but there is also the mercy dimension to tell you how the victory came. (sighs) Who remembers what I said this morning? That the Bible says, out of his mouth will come two-edged sword. Right? So you see two things always confirming what he's saying. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? So that two-edged sword now is speaking of a two-sided dimension of Jesus. Victory for the believer. Wrath for the devil. Same person. Peace for you, but death to the people of the world. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are saved and to those who are perishing. But to them, it is a stronger... It is something not of the sweet fragrance that is of or what belongs to you, but something stronger and tougher than that. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So, the sure mercies of David, of which the Bible speaks of, um, hath prevailed to open the book and to lose the seals, the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now, we just talked about we just talked about um, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then the next thing we're seeing is a lamb. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And then, still talking about the same person, we see a lamb. So that is to tell you that the, the victory, right, the demonstration of the victory of Christ is rested on the revelation of the lamb slain. And if you have not been able to connect your rising and the light that you have and you share to the fact that your sins are forgiven, right? It means you have not caught the revelation yet. There is a reason why it's simple. This thing called my sins are forgiven is simple for a reason so that nobody misses out. Just like when you enter your car, you don't need to know how the car works, but you know the car works. So when you begin to apply the system, it begins to produce for you results and you are able to carry about your function as you desire, right? But you don't need to be a mechanic to be a driver. So I'm saying to you that knowing that your sins are forgiven and what it does for you, right, is the beginning to every victory you have. So we spoke about the seven stars this morning and I said that these seven stars are leaning on a revelation now. John is about to see something from up, what Paul saw from down. Paul saw that by the revelation of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, that everybody has come into the blessing. That's what Paul said, right? That the blessing of Abraham might rest upon the Gentiles, right? Um, But John sees it in a different way. And he sees pictures of how these blessings, which are the seven folds, Right? The sevenfold dimensional blessing of every believer that he rightfully should enjoy. And he sees the foundation to which these seven blessings are resting on. And then we see a lion that prevails. 
the lion that prevails, the lion that prevails, the lion that prevails. But the next thing we see is as though you are trying to see the more, the, the more you see, the less you see, that kind of thing. And when you look intently, you now see that lion is a lamp. Have you seen this portrait before that has the picture of a lion and then there is a small lamp in the middle of it? Who has seen that portrait before? That's a picture of what John saw. That when he looked at it, it looked like a lion at first. But when he looked at it, he saw a lamp. You can, I mean, <laughs> there's a huge difference between a lamp and a lion. If you go to the jungle, you, you would have better understanding of this. That is a huge difference between the lion and the lamb. Mm-hmm. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. But he's a lamb slain for you. Two-dimensional, two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. He's a lamb slain for you, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah that has prevailed for you. So like I said to you on Wednesday, when you say in the name of Jesus Christ, right, what comes afresh to your spirit is your victory. What comes afresh to Satan is his defeat. Two things happening at the same time. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Oh, I love to watch all these um, discovery channels that, you know, show wild animals and stuff. I love to see it. And when you see, you know, when the lion roars, the purpose of the roaring is to send fear. Right? It's to send fear. So that every animal in the jungle, right, the moment they hear the sound of the lion moving through the wind wave, right, you don't even know where it's coming from. The lion, for example, the male lion usually is the one that will do that. And then the female lion is already creeping. So the, the lion that is actually roaring is not the lion that is hunting. Two-edged sword. <laughs> so that the lion that is hunting is creeping gradually, camouflaging to the environment or with the environment, approaching the prey gradually. But the one that will roar is on top of the mountains that when it shouts... The first thing that happens to all the animals that are meant to be together, which is their security. Because you see those animals, you can't get them when they are together. If, I, if you talk about strength, the lions might not match them strength for strength. Because if you see how sometimes the lion, is in, the lion has a bad day, you will see how one of those bulls will cheat lions like a dog. But that roar is to scatter them isolate them, right? And then, the most vulnerable one is the one it picks. So that when the mother hears the roar, the first thing she does is to run. After a few meters, she now thinks, my child. (laughs) Right? She now thinks, my child. By the time she goes back, child is gone. But if we stay together in park, we can't be defeated. The first thing Satan tries to do is to isolate you. So when scripture says you are fitly framed, if you don't understand the benefit of the fellowshipping of the brethren, you are most vulnerable because a lone block is easier to destroy than a wall. So when the lion roars and then there is disarray, it looks for the vulnerable one and picks it, right? And when he picks it, the chief roarer, the roarust, now comes down, right? And he's not the one who killed him. 
But you will now start dividing the shares. That's a picture of your victory. Christ kills for you. So you step on what has been done. Right? That's a picture. (laughs) But you know, Satan is an imitator of what God does. So the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion that seeks whom he may devour. Now he goes about looking for who he will devour. But you see, when the, Bible, the Bible is too complete. The Bible gives you the antidote to Satan's roaring. It begins by saying, be sober, be vigilant. The answer is in the be sober. That when he roars, you calm down. You're not, you're not running helter-skelter. Did you catch it? Satan comes at you. Wah! The first thing you are doing is to be thinking, how did he get here? No, the time you are thinking, how did he get here? It's enough time to make you weak. You shouldn't be surprised that he came. Because even with Jesus, he came. So there are some people who are, maybe you feel you are so much out of this world that he cannot come. Who does you think you ask? (laughs) I mean, the devil will come. But when he comes, don't be shocked that he came. So when he comes, just tell him what to do. Kneel down. Answer. Just look for what. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Just give him work. Give him work to do. Kneel down. Hands up. Raise up your hand. Even for something that is your fault, just, just blame it on him. Just, you know, you know, people who harass you constantly, right? You avoid them quicker than people who are very <laughs> diplomatic and gentle. Is somebody following what I'm saying? Like from the start, you already know this is trouble. So <laughs> before you even start talking, you just arrange yourself, right? So Satan knows those kinds of people. For the devil roars looking for whom he may devour. But the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. So my first disposition is to be sober. That when he shouts, I don't just run with the wind. I come down. I think through the process. What do I do? How do I deal with Satan? Look at your neighbor and say, be sober. sober. Then what's the next one? Be vigilant. (laughs) Glory to God. We see two dimensions of Jesus. The victory side of him and the lamb side of him. The lamb side of him. It says, and they overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb and by what? The words of it. And I told you on Wednesday that they didn't overcome him by Jesus. God saved me just now. <laughs> you saw it, Avi? It was quarter to happen. Hey, but the Lord delivered me. I almost said that they didn't overcame him. They didn't overcome him <laughs> by the blood of the Lamb. They now finish with that. By the word of his testimony. And they love not their life unto death. No, that's not the picture. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And that was their testimony. And they were not afraid to die. So, the, the, seeing the lamb slain determines your disposition. This thing is simple for a reason, though, that everybody should catch it. 
My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven doesn't select what happens after my sins are forgiven. Because you are not too intelligent to pray all the time accurately for your blessings. But when you say my sins are forgiven, you just add bread. Did you get it? When you say my sins are forgiven, you just ate bread. You didn't just take sugar. You might need sugar, but eat bread. Because in bread, there is sugar. So when you shout, my sins are forgiven, you have taken everything in. And I will show you those seven stars that you take in and begin to exert the sweet influences of the Pleiades. The double-edged sword of this lamb slain. Double-edged sword of this lamb slain. So let's keep reading. So he now goes on to say, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, and the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. And see, you see this number seven? Keeps coming back. And seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of the harps and golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Hallelujah. Thou art worthy to take the book. Jesus was worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain. You can't, you can't beat God. See what it says. It says thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Somebody came to meet me uh, some weeks ago and said, Pastor, I'm dealing with some ancestral issue. Some, now hear me. Ancestral issues are real. But there is a higher truth than ancestral issues okay you see families that the patterns in the families are very consistent now that's don't don't downplay it because faith doesn't deny reality but faith actually speaks on top of reality that's what faith does right so she came to meet me and recounted to me patterns in her family and i said to her look i opened the scripture to her and i said for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred. Kindred is where you come from. And out of every tongue, the language you speak. Out of every people and out of every nation. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your tribe is. You have been redeemed out of it to God. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you are not bound by the state you came from. You are not bound by the limitations of where you came from. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. Ooh, this is where we're going. Worthy is what? Yeah. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power. Somebody say number one. And what? Riches. And what? Wisdom. And what? Strength. And what? And what? And what? 
How many are they? These are the seven stars. These are the seven stars. That this, now, the Bible did not say, Worthy is the Lamb, so receive power. Because that's the perspective to which many people preach. Worthy is the Lamb, so therefore receive power. As though to say you are ascribing power to Him. Lord, you are all powerful. Worthy is the Lamb, so therefore receive riches. You are all rich God. What is the Lamb? So you are the all-wise God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the Lamb was slain to receive. Not so therefore receive. Kai, oh goodness. I wish you get what I'm saying. What is the Lamb that was slain? Not so therefore I praise him as powerful. What is the lamb that was slain? So he has therefore already received power. And riches and wisdom and strength and honor. Now before I come to these seven stars, how many of you know that white light is white when you look at it with the naked eyes? But if you put a spectrum, how many is it? Do you know what many of us are doing? Many of us are looking at the rainbow and calling white light red. Because you are more inclined to red. There is a mindset about you that only believes red and does not see the other oigbiv. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Because if you put on a blue shade, everything is color blue. Many of you have been on color blue. For most part of your Christian walk. Now, I have some friends, right, who don't believe in the fact that Jesus died for our riches. This is my comeback for them. This riches here is not talking about the riches of his grace. I look. <laughs> no, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. I have arguments for Bible scholars. I'm one myself. Let me read what riches. Riches here, Plautus, from the base of wealth. This is my Greek strong dictionary. It says, possessions, money, literally. <laughs> then it now says, or figuratively, abundance. That is the figuratively. Then it now says, richness. Specially valuable bestowment. This is richness. The announces abundance of external possessions, fullness, abundance, plentitude. Now, I have a question for you. The lamb was slain and he has received this thing. What is he doing with it in heaven? Because the lamb is on the throne. What currency do they spend in heaven on the throne? Now, what he received is for my benefit. Because if you look at glory, for example, second to the last, right? Second to the last. Now, the, oh, bless Jesus. Look at glory, second to the last. Jesus said when he was praying, Father, the glory that I want shared with you, give it back to me. So it means that before he died, he was in glory. Then after he died, 
God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above all names, that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So God restored glory and gave him glory. But there is the dimension of this glory that is from the cross. Now that glory is not to be spent in heaven. This glory is for today's walking. So the previous verse, verse 10, will say, For he has made unto you kings and priests that you shall reign in heaven. Correct me if you know your Bible. How do you reign without receiving the seven stars? If you are going to reign, you must know how to exact the seven stars. These are the sweet influences of Pleiades. Somebody hear what I'm saying? Now, hear me everybody. White light, when you put it through the spectrum, it breaks out into the prism. It breaks out into seven. Right? This seven right, is what scripture um, would interpret as these blessings right, that belongs rightfully to the church. Now look at these seven things. For each of these things, power determines the movement of the church. The Pentecostal movement caught power and therefore they named and tagged themselves Pentecostals because they understood the power of the Holy Ghost and the move of the Spirit of God. So the moment they caught one dimension of the seven, it became a movement for the church. Then from power, we now went to riches. They now started calling them prosperity teachers. And they started saying that these are people who are teaching people that God is not angry when you have money. There was a movement much later after the power revival that swept the church. There was a new group of pastors that came and started preaching wealth. One of the likes of Archbishop Benson Idaosa. He believed that God is not poor. Jesus is not poor. Why should he be poor here? He believed that a brand new Pojo is better than second hand. And he handed over a brand new Pojo to one of his friends, to which many of you know. And there's no point calling names. And he asked him, how does brand new feel? And that was the end of the conversation. Is somebody getting what I'm saying? Then there was the wisdom dimension to the church, to which it became a movement. And I'm telling you, all this is in one person that has broken out into seven stars. But they all belong to you. Why? Because it's bread. I'm not here picking tea, Lipton, sugar, Milo, um, Bonvita. What again? Hot water. Which one should be hot water? <laughs> Glory should be hot water. The glory of God, hot water. Then power. Power should be... Power should be coffee. Right? Then riches. Milk. Then wisdom. <laughs> From these answers, you begin to see the orientation of different people, right? Strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now hear me. This thing is a full package. Because if you declare my sins are forgiven, you begin to come into the benefits of this seven. You already have it. You are the one who is choosing. Look at your neighbor say, I have it. I tell somebody else, I'm not trying to have it. I have it. 
You are powerful, you are rich, you are wise, you are strong. Now, if you see the new covenant, you see streaks of these things show up. But it will take the wisdom of interpreting scripture to see that it's all one package. For God has become unto us the wisdom of God. You see that in Corinthians. You see the riches of the glory of God in Ephesians. You see blessing in Galatians. For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. That's the blessing of God might rest upon the Gentiles. So you see now, but if you are wise, you now know how to tell yourself that all these things, they are one and the same. That if I have taken hold of one, it means I have the others. So what is the next thing for me to do? Reconcile. That's the next dimension. You now begin to reconcile because according to heaven's perspective, right? There is a way heaven sees you that you haven't started seeing yourself yet. And you know what I call that? It's pride. Because if you don't see yourself the way God sees you, that's pride. If I, what did Satan do? What was the sin Satan committed? Pride. What was the bad thing Satan did? Let's think about it. Did he kill anybody in heaven? Could he even kill anybody in heaven? As a matter of fact, they even beat him. (laughs) So what did he do? But you kept on hearing, I will. I will. I will. Satan had an agenda that was different from God. Pride. Pride is not when you do something wrong only. Pride is when your agenda is different from purpose. So you can be humbly proud because you feel that you are in God's will. Not knowing that you are probably not. Or let me put it this way. You are resisting God's will. That's pride. If as a matter of fact, I think Adam and Eve in the garden were proud. Because if you see the, the length of time it took for Adam and Eve to repent, right? Or to acknowledge that they had made a mistake. How can you, God said, don't do this. The moment it happened that you did, you ate that fruit, right? If I were Adam and Eve, the first thing to do is to cry out for help. Because there's a problem already. Yeah? But they had to wait that long until God met them with clothes already. So they are taking out time to already dress themselves. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. They had to spend enough time to have reasoned what to do out of God's will. That's pride. And God now even came and said, this is not how to do it well. Take off the figs and take animal skin. May we come and align into purpose. May you humble yourself and take all these seven. Because if the church today will exert her influence, we can't do without any of this. Look, you must make up your mind that none of these things will be missing in your life. I'll tell you the difference between you who is in the, bene- in the benefit of what he has done and you who is one that is looking for these things. You are not looking for power. You have received power. You are not looking for riches. You have received riches. 
What's the difference between what I said? Very small, but very insightful. What does that mean? It means that there is no self attached to any of these things. You didn't get them by yourself. So I can be leaning on Christ fully, right? And put my faith on him. And be walking in, in wealth, in dominion, in strength, in honor. Practically and literally. But doesn't mean that I'm not leaning on him. Because according to my understanding, it is not by myself I get it. I have received it from him. And I put my trust in him. That's the difference. So when the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things... These seven things are not in the category of all these things. Did you hear what I said? Yes, this, for example, let's, let me use riches because riches is the most fought out of the seven. Power and the last one, blessing, the sandwiches, the, the ones that sandwich the seven. Power and blessings are the ones that are easy to appreciate as a church. Now hear me. Riches <laughs> mm. riches is for you and it is needed by the church to exert the influence we're meant to have so renew your mind from thinking that God's people cannot be rich and should not be rich Because if we're going to establish the plans and the purposes of God in our time, we need money. We need money. Serious money. Serious money. And for some of us, little strongholds like um, maybe your father told you while you were growing up, don't mingle with rich children. Rich people's children. Because they can corrupt you. People have grown up with a mindset that wealth is bad. Just from that little conversation. Or you hear a pastor saying, criticizing another pastor, what is he doing with his private jets? What is that one doing with so-so amount of money? Let's shake some tables, right? Now, they, they have not come to see that this thing called riches is a part of the basics of the believer. Yes, this is what the lamb was slain to receive for you. And I'm going to use one example and I'll boldly say it. You can't keep up with Bishop Oedipo's shadow. You can't even try it. These men hardly sleep. So you think it's Eric that will... I'm sorry to call names, the international audience and uh, our visual industry. <laughs> but it's not by those airlines though, that they meet up their meetings and appointments. The mindset of the church to think that the believer does not need it and should not have need for it is a devilish mindset. And I hope you know that amongst these seven, you balance 
these things are so balanced that none is taken out of proportion. Because a man who is rich also has honor. So you can't even, you can't, look, Jesus said, go get, go, go get a cult that nobody has ridden on in our modern day terms, Tiaroba. And he never thought for once that it was too good for him. Nothing is too expensive for you. They take you to Costaris. You are choosing 1978 B2. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. Take me to that scripture, the Amplified Version. 2 Corinthians 10.4 Everything is for you. Power is for you. Riches is for you. We'll come back to it. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Somebody was fighting the place of... Um, I hope you know what is going on on social media is a ploy to make the church poor. And a friend, a friend, well, okay, yeah, I haven't really met him, but he loves my messages a lot. He's been listening, and he sent me a message the day before. He said, it's like, Pastor Phil, is it compulsory that people must give? And I said, the first understanding is response, and secondly, responsibility. That my giving is a response. And secondly, a responsibility. Because when I come in as a pillar in the house, I have a sense of responsibility. So I, but I give first from the place of response. Because I know in my giving, he still outgives me. Because when you read that Corinthians, when he says you take he who... <laughs> I've done this teaching. You just go back to my previous message. But the summary of what I'm trying to say is he who ministers seed to the sower is not talking about the one who is bringing offering. So the guy who brought offering is still receiving seed as you are sowing seed. He who ministers, talking about God now, who ministers seed to you while you are giving offering. So if you consider the seed he ministered to you and the offering you are giving. <laughs> there is nothing you give that outgives him. So my giving first is a response before it's a responsibility. So I want you to be very balanced on your theology knowing that the seven spheres of influences must be pervaded with the sweet seven stars or the sweet seven influences or stars that are in his hands that speak of power, riches, wisdom, strength, and all of that. And if we begin to touch all of these things, you will see that, oh goodness, that God deals with your worth before he gives you an assignment. That's why you will see honor there. You see honor there. You will see glory there. You will see blessing there. These seven things belong to you. So just like 
the world is seeing one light. My sins are forgiven. This one light is saying R-O-Y. And what are these seven things? All these things you're seeing here. We have received them. So the revelation of John is come up. He says because here you see in Revelations where it says come up hither and come and see on top of the premise to which these things are given. What is the premise to which is given? The lamb slain. So once you can see the lamb slain, you can attest to the fact that you have wisdom. You are not trying to have wisdom. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? So back to that scripture, then we'll close from there. The Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 with the Amplified Version. says, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Next verse. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories, right, and reasonings, and, and every proud, you see the word proud there, and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ. How do you deal with strongholds? Lead them away. You have to lead it away. That's a struggle. Pastor Jesus, please come. Pastor Huntley, please come. Pastor Yemi, please come. So now, let's use Pastor Huntley as the stronghold. Because he, he looks more like it. <laughs> Stay in between them. Right. Okay, so um, Pastor Chibuzo, go that way. Yeah. Now, face Pastor Chibuzo. Pastor Chibuzo, face him. You face him. For example, let's just use an example. This is the true knowledge of God trying to pervade your mind. Right? This is you asking for God's help. This is God trying to help you. And this is the stronghold in your mind. Right? God's help is not short of supply. Because it is there. If at the moment you called, he showed up already waiting to help you. So, stretch your hands wide open, man of God. Now, this is the argument. This is the reasoning that prevents this help from gaining access. So when this help is saying, I want to come, this one is saying, who do you think you are? But guess what? This guy is not necessarily talking. You guys didn't catch what I'm saying. Your strongholds speak without you knowing they are speaking. Because when strongholds are talking, it is a way of life and a way to think that obscures the access God's word has into your mind. I'm going to teach you guys how to break strongholds. That there's what we call tower and the high place in this matter. I'll do that maybe next Sunday morning. Now hear this. Pastor Chibuzo is God's answer to you. But there's a stronghold. This stronghold is a voice of argument that 
can come from the place of an experience. And if you don't trace it and deal with it and lead this captivity away, there is no help, no matter how much and how powerful the help is. But until strongholds are broken, that is the only way you have help. So what do you do now? You now have to begin to make your voice louder than the stronghold. First of all, acknowledge that the strongholds are there. Right? Once you've acknowledged that they are there, begin to speak contrary and against to the point that you have led it away. See, see the way the Bible puts it. it <coughs> Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories. Now, these things have become a theory. Because you have practicalized it and you have proven them over time that they are true. But it is actually not true. Poverty is more true in some people's minds than wealth. Because, so those kinds of people, if you give them, man of God, sorry if you are tired, please. <laughs> those kinds of people, if you give them money, right, um, whilst he thinks he's the one spending the money, this is the guy who is actually using the money. So can I tell you what a stronghold does? A stronghold takes control of your life. That you thought you were in control. You are not in control. Why do you think when the word has pierced through the blindness, which the Bible says the God of this world has blinded their eyes, when that word of God comes, there's a sudden realization. Look, the fact that somebody is nice doesn't mean the person will easily be born again. Niceness is not near to receiving Christ. Blindness is blindness. Just like any shade of rat is the rat. There's the character of rat. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? Whether it is the rat that has a long mouth or the one that has short tail, rat is rat. What is the character of rat? If a human being says, Da! It will run. Although, <laughs> there are some of you, <laughs> my brother, the, if you own the light and you look at rat and you say, hey, the rat is staying, my counsel, you, wrong. <laughs> but this is the point I'm trying to make, that the character of rat is still the same, regardless of the species. Black, white, Male, female, old, young. If the same stronghold is at play, it is the same result. Why? Because it will become a theory. To the point that the stronghold begins to speak and is louder than you, has suppressed you from talking. But the Bible says the weapons of our warfare. This thing is warfare. How you think is warfare. Because the way you see yourself, first of all, is the victory. Behold the Lamb of God that was slain, right? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of their testimony. When they saw the Lamb slain, they knew that as this Lamb was dead, I have this seven. That became my testimony. And before you know it, these same people who were timid to die began to behave as though they were not afraid to die. 
affected their disposition. Nobody in this house will be bound by strongholds. Right? All right? All right? Now, see, hear me. Some of you can become, you can, you can fast for 40 days. If the, strong, <laughs> if the stronghold is still there, there's no change. I know I'm talking about strongholds after I've spoken about these seven sweet influences. Because the seven sweet influences, some people will not adjust. Because regardless of how much, um, how do I put it now? Regardless of how much you think you know, if you like tea without milk, you would always have tea without milk. Right? Regardless of how hot you are, you must still want to have tea. To which the idea of tea in itself. <laughs> but I'm saying that strongholds will make you act contrary to reasoning. So now, begin to analyze your life and look at the strongholds that exist. Now, for some of you, they are monstrous. The reason why they are monstrous is because they prevent you directly from the purposes of God. That's one. Secondly, um, some can be passive in that the dysfunction can stop you from gaining the, general, the benefits of what you should enjoy normally. For example, your peace, your joy, your hope. Touch your head and say, no strongholds in my mind. So before you break into these seven blessings, deal with the strongholds. Right? And I'm going to teach you on Sunday how all of this is going to happen. But behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I just feel I should tell somebody here that God loves you. Right? God loves you. I'm about to minister God's love to somebody now. Man of God, do you know that there were two times where Jesus said, Jesus heard the voice of God, this is my beloved son. One was on the mountain the other one was the River Jordan. The River Jordan is actually the lowest part of the earth. One of the lowest parts of the earth. And the mountain, if you, if you go to Israel and they take you, the tour guide takes you to the mountain to which he was transfigured, you will wonder how Jesus got there. Because right now you need aid, you need help. You need serious help to climb that mountain. Even the mountain to which he was tempted. The Bible says that he was on the cliff of the mountain and then he was tempted to fall down. Right? Or to jump down. If you get to Israel right now, it's not so easy climbing that mountain. But this is the point. At the highest points of your life, God is saying, I love you. And at the lowest points of your life, he's still saying, I love you. Regardless of how low, regardless of how high. So there is no time that you are not loved. Some of you even calculate your 
distance and your separation, the fact that you've, you've been severed from so many great things that should happen to your life, it is, it is God's plan. Because right now, right, right now it's time for you to use what the enemy thought he meant for evil to whiplash the devil back. Oh, I was studying on the Benjamites. The Benjamites, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Benjamites are, they were a group of people that were annihilated, right, from the Philistines and also from the general um, gathering of the Israelites. But the other 11 tribes were very prominent. And the other 11 tribes understood how to wage war with their enemies, especially the Philistines. So the likes of Goliath and the Philistines knew how to study the other ones. But the Benjamites were not experts with swords and shields. The Benjamites to which David belonged to were experts with slings and stone. Your enemy is not familiar with your weapon. That he didn't have enough time to study you. So when God was hiding you, right? In that place of isolation, Satan didn't really take time to bother and study how strong you are. So when, when David met Goliath, Goliath was not ready for David. Because he had not practiced for David. But he had practiced for those who used sword and shield. So when David will show up with his sling and stone, he begins to curse David from the start. Who are you? Do you think I'm a dog? You come to me with sling and with stone. David said to him, he said, I, I come to you in the name of the Lord. The sure message of David. The two-edged sword. Jesus. In fact, when they tried to inculcate David into the environment, David knew that that thing does not belong to him. So you can't blend with the environment. That's what Adam and Eve did. When they took fig leaves, they became like the environment. You are distinct because you, you are surrounded by the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with you. You are loved. God loves you. At the lowest point of your life and at the highest point of your life, He loves you. Wisdom, power, riches, strength, honor, glory, blessing, they all belong to you. And it is fully paid for by the fact that the lamb was slain. Guess what? When you get back home, begin to shout, my sins are forgiven. That's all the devil needs to know. First of all, it sits in your heart. It is so simple that it excludes smart people from this foolish plan. This simple thing, my sins are forgiven, is the reason why we have wealth. Is the reason why we have honor. Is the reason why we have glory. Is the reason why we have strength. My sins are forgiven. Are you blessed today? This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.